0: Welcome to Accelerated, I'm your host Vitaly Golem, Partner and Mobility and Sustainability Global Practice Lead at award-winning tech investment bank, Drakestar. On this season of the podcast, we are hearing from some of the global leaders in everything electric and autonomous moving us quickly into the future. On this episode, I speak with Asaf Weissbrod, Head of Automotive at NASDAQ Listed Autonomo. Autonomo is a provider of a pioneering vehicle data platform and marketplace and is positioned at the epicenter of the data revolution in the automotive and mobility space. Autonomo vehicle data is being utilized by businesses, fleets, and smart cities for a wide variety of use cases including fleet management, insurance, emergency services, mapping, EV management, parking, and many, many others. Prior to joining Autonomo, Asaf built a two-decade career in global sales and strategic alliance roles at F5, CEDO, Flash Networks, and others. We spoke about how data is collected from your car and how it is used by insurance companies and others, the secrets of odometers, micro weather, edge computing versus cloud processing in the near future of autonomous driving, and much more. Asaf, thank you very much. Welcome to Accelerated. Uh, We're glad to have you on the podcast. Where do we find you today?
1: Well, I'm, I'm in Israel, I don't fly a lot now, so uh, restricted to uh, working from home and working from the office sometimes, so for the last uh, very long time in Israel.
0: So, good morning and good evening uh, to you, so thanks again. Now, I'd, li- I'd like to start in the beginning uh, to get to know our guests, and uh, my, my first question is, tell us a little bit about how you grew up, and what were you into as a kid? Um,
1: I grew up in uh, Kiryat Vialik, in, in Israel. Uh, it's a place, uh, I would say rather industrial factories, refineries, this kind of stuff. Um, I was, uh, into sports. Uh, it was very close to the Mediterranean. I was into surfing. And I think that was, uh, uh, the great passion as a kid. So a lot
0: of, uh, a lot of athletes, kid athletes end up going into, uh, into sales. So I'm not too surprised, but go continue. I, I didn't know that back then. <laughs> that was no uh there was no intention yeah very good now what did you study in in uh you, you stayed in
1: in college uh, in israel uh, what did you study there i studied computer science uh, and uh, even in high school studied computers and electronics so started with the technological part very early on including throughout the army technological part of the of the business. Now I I've, I've
0: heard a lot of startups uh, a lot of startup pitches begin with uh, something in 8200. It doesn't sound like you, were, you you went through that experience. Uh, but um yeah, it, the military service.
1: I was in the air force. So very far from uh, from uh, 8200. Air force. Yeah. So not not uh, not the same not the same type of technology. Yeah.
0: And also a lot of athletes go into the air force as well, you know, Top Gun. Um, so tell us a little bit about how your career began um, after you graduated college.
1: So graduating for computer science, I think the most natural thing to do was go and work in R&D. And that's what I did. I started as a programmer uh, back in the days, uh, you know, where uh, telecom was very strong, end of the 90s, beginning of 2000. And that's where I started uh, doing uh, development and research uh, in in companies that sold into telcos uh, converse at the time <clears throat> and after that mm, uh, working for some uh, uh, companies that work in networking more on the side less on the telephony side more on the networking side and from there i started i think uh, um, the first time i worked for a startup that was somewhere between uh telco and vehicles. I worked for the cell, and that was they were developing traffic forecasting back at the days where phones didn't have a GPS.
0: Mm-hmm. So that takes us back a little bit. Now, over the years, you've had a number of uh, roles leading sales uh, at various tech companies. What attracted you to the field? I mean, where you talked about you being an athlete, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But you went from computer science and R and D into sales and business development.
1: Yeah, I would say in general, a very small athlete. <laughs> I like it, but doesn't make me a, such an athlete. But uh, I think in general, uh, we, I have to say it was by chance. I cannot say it was like a, I took a career choice to go into business. I was working for a company that was acquired by Flash Networks. And after we were acquired, we found out that while there's some synergy between the products, nobody knows how to sell the product and our sales from the company i came from were let go and i was given the opportunity to lead and sell in, in the new company the business line that was acquired into into flash networks and that's how everything started i didn't go into sales overnight i started with sales engineering got a bit closer to the dark side and then thought that uh, yeah I like it with customers, and I like to meet people more and sit by my keyboard less. And it was, uh, yeah. That, then the slippery slope started towards sales, towards the business side.
0: Now you've had an opportunity to build a few different sales programs, and for startup founders who are coming from the engineering side, uh, sales, business development is always kind of this dark science, this this wizardry, and they always think that somebody else can can come in and and do better than them. Uh, talk a little bit about how you've, how you've developed sales programs, how you think about it when you're starting with a new product, you know, what's your approach to, to doing that?
1: Well, basically it all starts with the product. You know, it's, it's where the value is generated and it's where the value is created. And, and it's the role of sales to materialize the value. So if anyone, whether it's a founder or an existing company coming with a new product, Uh, eventually it's the role of sales to kind of help product in the beginning see if this uh, theorem of value actually works in the field and get the feedback back into product so that the tuning is starting. You don't start scale. You know, if we look at the different life cycle of a product we're looking at insight, a theorem you want to test, we're looking at value, something you can prove it's sellable and then scale I think Sales has a very important role. So if you're a founder and you're kind of considering moving from this theory part to the value part, take salespeople who can actually help you prove the value before you take salespeople that can help you prove that you can scale. Because it's, it's, a, it's a huge step, a huge milestone in a company's life cycle. Finding this product market fit, I think sales have a huge role in there if you listen to them.
0: Very good. And then, you know, talk, you know, talk a little bit about some of the specific lessons you've learned from your roles at Flash Network, CEDO, and F5 Networks before you got to Autonomous.
1: I think Flash Network, first of all, taught me something about myself. I went in as heading engineering for the company that was acquired. I left out as a salesperson. And in the middle, I was the first one to establish a pre-sales team, a sales engineering team. And... So for me, you know, setting up teams on the R&D side was something I knew how to do. I didn't know how to do it with sales engineers. I didn't hire sales engineers before. Huge lesson. It brought me much closer to the business and actually led me to decide that I'm actually going to continue on the business side. and, And kind of position. I saw a great advantage in being a salesperson that actually knows the technology in depth. So I thought that I have a, I really enjoyed that part, that I could do the business part, but still understand the bits and bytes. And that was, uh, it was very effective. That was Flash Networks definitely there. CEDA was the first time I was the one to go in there and establish the the sales organization from scratch. So that was a lot of learning. Um, I think also I learned a lot about funding and how you should really make sure you're properly funded for the strategy that you're, uh, the strategy you're planning for your company for the roadmap you're planning for your products. There should be strong correlation between those. Um, and also it was the first time I dealt with enterprise products per se. Sido dealt with virtualization, uh, and enterprise customers, not telco customers. That was very new for me. Um, and F5, I think, was my sec- the second time as an Israeli I worked for an American company. I worked for Converse, which was an American company, but 80% of the people were Israelis. So it was NASDAQ listed and headquartered in the U.S. and whatever heavy, but lots of Israelis. F5 was an acquisition. I worked for Traffics Networks. We were acquired into F5, and that was the first time I worked in a- an organization that was 90% Americans. And probably maybe 80%, but that was uh, a good learning um, a crash course into corporate America uh, from the inside, not as a salesperson from the outside, so that was uh, a good way to change my my point of view. Uh, Learn a lot uh, about how how different companies are setting up uh, larger sales organizations with 2,000 people, not with 100 or 500 or four.
0: Well, that brings us to Autonomo. And you have been at the company almost since the beginning. How did you first connect with the founding team?
1: So uh, I mentioned already that going into uh, F5 networks, we were acquired by Traffics. And some of the people from the old band at Traffics went into Autonomo as joining the, the founding team. And Ben Volkov, the founder in Autonomo, was the founder in in Traffic, so that was a um, a very good contact point. Uh, going and meeting a founding team that you trust is a is a very very uh, significant uh, uh, incentive. Very nice.
0: Yeah, it's usually that's usually a good good trigger to jump into a new venture. And the company has done phenomenally well. Uh, only what about seven years old? Less than seven years old now and it's publicly listed. Uh, I think for for a lot of our listeners, some will know Autonomo, but uh, it's a little bit behind the scenes data company. So tell us about Autonomo. What should our listeners know?
1: I think the public part is public. Autonomo is uh, publicly traded. Uh, I think Autonomo is the founder of a category. We make a category of vehicle data value creation, vehicle data monetization. And basically, we help, Automotive OEMs uh, generate value uh, for their vehicle data. Um, OEMs are very good at collecting data. They're very good at processing data. Uh, They need someone to help them uh, open up this data to developers, open up this data to potential consumers of the data. This could be insurance company, this could be a leasing company, and this could be a DOT in California that needs vehicle data. And autonomous knows how to give them one point of contact for vehicle data that can solve the problem when it's an insurance company, solve the problem when it's a fleet or a listing company and solve the problem with a DOT. And and at the the same time do it globally. If they are like Stellantis and they operate mainly in North America and in in EMEA, autonomous knows how to do that. Ford that works on both. We know how to do that. Toyota that works on both that and APAC, uh, we know how to do that. So those companies need a global partner, they need a neutral partner that's not competing with them, not competing with the potential customers. And they need someone with a superior technology uh, that can reflect their value, that can reflect their sensor value, whatever sensor they have in the car, in a a type of uh, data engineering platform that could easily serve developers.
0: Can you give us some examples of the type of data that gets collected and what kind of sensors uh, you're talking about?
1: Yeah. So, you know, let's start with the basics. If you look at your odometer and you might find it a very innocent and boring parameter, you look at it every day on your dashboard. You start the car uh, and you look at the odometer. Um, If you don't read the odometer, trying to conclude what the odometer read is without having access to the odometer is very difficult. And then for some companies that are highly dependent on the odometer for calculation of mileage, calculation of mileage and fuel, calculation of mileage for service, that's becoming a big issue. If you miss on the odometer a little bit, there's a lot of friction around it. So just this odometer is huge. Of course, the location of the car, the speed, the heading, very basic parameters are helping uh, stolen vehicle tracking, are helping road planning, are helping traffic management, are helping insurance companies uh, to provide you with a dynamic pricing. All those things, very basic features, I mean, very basic parameters. But when you go above that, you, you see that if you, when you look at premium cars, and you look at more advanced, technologically advanced cars, uh, you can start collecting friction from the wheel. So you have to understand when the roads become slippery or stops being slippery. So reading the mu, reading the, the surface friction, something you can do today. You can collect fog information from the vehicle. You can collect rain information from the vehicle. Uh, you can collect road sign information from the vehicle. Can, which traffic signs does the vehicle encounter and where are they? So that you can dynamically trace those. Of course everything that has to do with electrical vehicle charging if you want to discover new charge points and you don't want to do it by trying to track the map or sending scouts you'll do it by just reading the information from, from vehicles that are charging I found the charger I'm charging now if the map was not updated with the charger there then you should edit it um, we're looking at hazard signs everything you know weather is something that makes the road safer hazard is something that makes the road safer and we're definitely into pushing those into traffic management and traffic planning so that the roads become safer for everyone. Uh, Corridor management, you want to synchronize a green light, wave from point A to point B. All those things are data sets that are collected today from the car and they're collected from more and more cars so everything could uh, uh, easily impact uh, Safety mapping, uh, uh, any kind of traffic management, point of interest research—all those things are impacted by vehicle data.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's on. It, it's a very valuable data over a very long period of time of car ownership, and it uh, makes sense for uh, all of the all the cars to have a SIM card now and to be able to com- communicate. And the OEMs are happy to pay for that SIM card, right? And the subscription just to collect that data. I'm really excited to share something a long time in the making with you. My first online course. Over the years, I've trained thousands of founders through my book, Accelerated Startup, and my infamous Pitching Like a Boss workshops and keynotes. Like I've done for thousands of founders, I will teach you how to pitch like a boss. And for the first time ever, I will be doing it in a cohort-based online course. This is the world's most comprehensive and intensive course for entrepreneurs and future founders on pitching. It will help you craft the perfect pitch for investors and customers. It will also help you master public speaking, get funded, communicate your vision to grow your team and dramatically improve sales of any product. Check out golem.net slash pitching. That's golom dot slash pitching for more information. See you there. Um, how much data really is, you know, with a, with a modern vehicle, how much data is flowing? Can you quantify that kind of on a daily basis?
1: You know, I, I hear a, a lot of numbers out there. I can tell you that what we do is we actually collect 4 billion data points per day. And I have to say that... This is across the entire fleet. Yeah, for, for the entire car park that we manage. I have to say that uh, um, I'm not extremely impressed with the size of the data, because as I told you, one of the most commercially valuable parameters is odometer. You don't need to stream the odometer anywhere. If you collect odometer once per day, it's good. It's good enough. So I'm actually looking into those areas where you don't have to stream, you know, terabytes of data to get value, because if you already stream terabytes of data, the chance of finding value is very low because your cost is so high. So, at the end of the day, you're going to kill the mobile network, you're going to kill the storage, and by the time you have to propose the data to the world, the cost is going to be so high. It's going to be very difficult for me to find a buyer. So, I appreciate the technology, but when it comes to doing business with data, we have to find those optimization points where we find, yeah, you can collect odometer once per day. Now, there are many parameters that could justify A collection second by second for the right use case but not for all use cases and like i said in general i'm not impressed with science i'm impressed with finding the right piece of data i'll I'll give you an example um if i can collect a, a certain amount of data from 200 vehicles on a on a segment of the road in order to understand that in a certain point on that segment you have the tail of a traffic jam. So I need two, three hundred vehicles to do that. If I can connect to one smart car with a tail tail of traffic jam sensor, I prefer to find that one smart car or two of them to verify rather than to constantly process and crunch through terabytes of data just to have a conclusion of maybe. So here again, you know, it's an example why Finding the right technology, the right sensor in the car, the right conclusion in the car could save so much processing power in the cloud. Again, I'm, I'm, when it comes to generating value from vehicle data, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly impressed with science.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a very good distinction. Now, now talk a little bit about, I mean, you collect the data, obviously, from vehicles, and you have to have an agreement with the OEMs. Um, how How new do the cars have to be? How? When did all of this start, this this whole automotive data collection? Uh, when did this industry start? Let, let's start there, let's say.
1: So I would say that the roots of the industry are in telematics, and telematics are around for 20, 30 years. Uh, OnStar is running there for, I don't know, 16, 17 years or maybe more. So it's there. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, couriers and they have telematics for much longer. So it's there, uh, but... Being there and being commonly available, it's very different. It's very di- two different distinctions. So um, I would say that if you're looking at most OEMs, 2018, 2019, you'll find enough models that are connected. But Autonomo does not collect data from the car. We collect the data from the OEM cloud. We know how to create connectors that would connect to the OEM cloud and collect the data. So when we work with an OEM, we need them to have a connected car, we need them to be able to, we need them to collect the data and we need them to be able to share the data with us through some kind of API. I would say that 2020, 2020 you know, you know, 2021, it's become more common, and 2022, we'll probably find that all OEMs have the way of doing that. And from that point on, it just uh, depends on how many a model makes and years are connected, but I think we're there. We're getting to very close to hundred percent.
0: And now you process the data for the OEMs and give them some kind of a dashboard. And then maybe you talk a little bit about other clients, uh, who are getting this data and how they're using it and kind of, how do they, how do they get the data from you? Is it, is it raw processed data or is it a dashboard that you show them? And how does it
1: work? Our customers, you know, if you're looking at the different segments, OEMs are many our providers of the data, and we are partnering with them to run a business around it. Uh, our co- customers could come from the B2C segment, like an insurance company. Uh, they could come from the B2B segment, like a listing company or a rental company that manages a fleet of vehicles, or they can come from any kind of consumers that need a a lot of vehicle data to analyze trends. Those could be traffic management companies, traffic planning companies, uh, mapping companies, um, any any kind of companies that are running research on trend dependent on on vehicle data. And so those those are examples of companies that uh, uh, could could find lots of value in the vehicle data and they are autonomous uh, customers. So, First of all, when each and every one of those consumers is reaching the point where they say, oh, you know, we think we we have a good way of harnessing vehicle data for our business application. Um, this, the second they think about that, they say, oh, we now have to chase 10 different OEMs to get enough data or to get a, a balanced panel of data. So we have a little bit of, you know, Passenger cars, a little bit of uh, light commercial vehicles, some trucks. And so we need the panels. We, we cannot spend the time now to talk to 10 of them. We'll, we'll do it with autonomous. We have one contract, we have one API, and we have one vehicle data language that is taking everything all the OEMs are bringing in, all the different types of data, all the APIs, all the contracts, all the prices, mix it all, arrange it, shape it, normalize it, and do all the data engineering work I don't want to do as a potential consumer of the data. And I'll get to autonomous data engineering platform. I'll talk to one, I'll contract one, I have one price, I have one API and one format. I don't want to see how the piping works. And that's what autonomous does on the, on the very basic level. So on the other side, you get the normalized data, but you know, when you want to access the data, you need a way to interact with the data. Imagine all these You go into the platform, there are tons of data there. You need to, a way to interact with the data. So you need to, a way to search the data. Say, oh, I only want the data in San Francisco. So you need to draw a polygon around there. But uh, I only want the data if it's the frequencies collection is above or below 30 seconds. I only want data that arrived on the platform fresh enough. So if it's more than one minute or more than five minutes, I don't want to see it. And if it's not location and fuel I don't want to see it because I don't care about weather now all these things are things that Autonomo is hooking into the data to make it accessible for people to search and understand what they want to see and then they can decide whether they want to get API access or a dashboard or any kind of um, any kind of report that they want to generate on the platform but on top of that after acquiring Neura this year um, they can actually get into vehicle data through the eyes of artificial intelligence and get answers to questions they ask. So if they want to understand vehicle average drive time or average speed on a segment, they can just ask those questions and they don't need to understand vehicle data. They can go and ask a uh, you know, um, point in origin and a destination, and try to understand okay, how many vehicles are going from point A to point B? How many vehicles are going from point A to point B through point C? So they can ask questions that could be on eye level with a traffic planner and not with a vehicle data engineer. Uh, I think that's uh, one very important vehicle uh, uh, vertical integration we did. That uh, makes it much easier for many more organizations to interact with the data without becoming vehicle experts, without becoming data teams. It
0: no, it's fascinating. I think most people don't really realize or don't don't think about how much data is collected, and when they open up Google Maps or Ways, you know where that data comes from, um, and and how do they know, right? Um, including you know the micro weather data as well. It's really fascinating, and and most people don't you know they're probably used to the idea that there are weather stations. You know, every few miles or kilometers, but now you're getting you're getting very accurate weather data from vehicles. So it's really fascinating. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit towards autonomy. And a lot has been said, you know, about autonomy and the data that's needed. Um, Both kind of, you know, companies like Enride, uh, who have had Robert, the CEO on the podcast, you know, they're doing some telematics to be able to drive remotely kind of like a drone pilot, uh, driving the, the, the remotely, but there's a latency issue and there's a lot of l- different things that, you know, when you're collecting data, that's one thing, but when you're using that to drive in real time or as as close to real time as possible, that becomes really interesting. Um, and then autonomy, ultimately, you know, cars will have to communicate to each other in real time without the lag and be able to react to situations. I'm sure Autonomo has already been looking at that. Would love your thoughts on kind of the state of autonomy right now this year in 2022. And where do you think
1: we're headed uh, with this in the near future? Well, I, I think the most uh, repetitive thing I would say I could I could say in this situation, you know, is that uh, 2022 is the year of autonomy. After it's been said in 2021 and 2020, so I think I'll try to I'll try to avoid that. Uh, but um, you know, we do see that I don't. Know, we do see that people are kind of. You know, people in the industry and organizations are kind of trying to find an MVP in autonomy where I can deliver something that's not perfect and it's not level five or level four, but but it's it's something that's um you know I would say significant for for the driver. Uh, and I think that there we we do see a uh, uh, progress. We see some, you know, uh, you know, we see that. You know driverless services uh, uh, are giving green light in germany for twenty twenty two that that's a great uh, breakthrough i see what uh, you know general Motors are doing with cruise and the target uh, the cruise the, the target they put for twenty twenty two it's it's uh, it's amazing i you know in china with autox and and uh, offering the driverless taxi these are things that are tangible autonomy is not uh, not a theory anymore So when you see, you know, the regulator is moving forward, the OEMs are moving forward, some services are moving forward. You know, that's the way to drive technology. You need good consumers, you need good providers, you need the market, you need interaction, you need need friction, things to happen. For me, you know, I cannot say which level we're going to reach, but I see that 2022 is definitely where things are going to get more tangible for, for autonomy.
0: When companies start to catch fire and blitz scale and look for capital to fuel that growth or look to find the right exit strategy, they often seek the counsel of investment bankers. At DrakeStar Partners, we work with some of the leading companies in global tech on capital raises, M&A, corporate carve-outs, SPACs, and much more. And we're pretty good at it. Our team of over 100 technology sector experts across nine offices in six countries is comprised of not only career bankers, but experienced executive venture investors, and technologists. DrakeStar Partners is the number one ranked and fastest growing mid-market investment bank across US and Europe. While I focus on mobility and energy transition sector, along with all things Silicon Valley, my partners from the Pacific to the Atlantic and around the world lead in software, media, communications, and everything in between. Learn more about us at drakestar.com. There, there's a lot of kind of thought process around, you know, either doing all the calculations at the edge, right, on vehicle itself, uh, or sending the data via 5G connections to the cloud and then somehow quickly enough processing it and coming back to the vehicle uh, in mass. You know, where do you see kind of just specifically the data piece? um, You know, what I'm hearing from a lot of autonomy companies is that the compute that we currently have available for vehicles is not nearly enough for real, you know, full level four, level five autonomy, even level three, where the driver is not paying attention and it needs to be reliable, um, that even there, we're not there yet. And, and you know, autonomy, like you said, it's, it's always just two years away, uh, right? Uh, sometimes you know, even closer, depending on who you listen to. But what, you, what are your thoughts around the data collection and, and kind of how that will influence and, and what do you think will be done on the vehicle itself versus in the cloud? I think whatever you
1: do in the car has a compute limitation. Whatever you do in the cloud, has a, high, has a latency limitation. I don't know, I know, I'm not an autonomous driving expert, but I'm old enough to understand that most of those situations end up with a hybrid solution. And the one that strike the best balance of partly edge compute in the car and partly uh, cloud, the one who strikes the balance in the, mo- in the smartest manner is gonna be the first to have a reliable uh, uh, autonomous system. Uh, of course, you also have to take into account uh, they do need to find a good MVP. If they try to attack everything, they get you know. um, so that's that's my thinking. You know, some things will have to stay in the cloud. Also, you know, when I'm thinking about autonomous driving, I'm not necessarily thinking about a passenger car. I, I I really believe that the first uh, target for autonomous driving will be probably a fleet of some sort. Because the the ROI is going to be much easier than trying to pay for a very expensive autonomous system where sometimes I actually want to drive. I don't want someone to drive for me. When it comes to a fleet, I I look at it differently. And if if we agree on that or we consider that option, if you're thinking about the fleet, you always need a fleet view. You cannot manage it from a vehicle view. So there will be a lot of information that's going to be processed in the cloud where the information from all of those vehicles meet each other can meet each other they can't meet each other on the on the on the car level they need to meet each other on the cloud level so that, that's another reason why i truly believe in in a, in a hybrid solution between cloud compute and 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 the compute power in the vehicle
0: very good now uh is autonomous looking also at hd mapping and and that kind of data uh that will enable autonomy more so are you already in that space, or something in the near future?
1: Absolutely. Uh, the info, you know, even today, we're already at the point where we know how to collect uh, how to collect dynamic uh, traffic signs into an HD map. So feed that into an HD map. So you know, if you have an HD map and someone ran over a stop sign, uh, and, and, and the autonomous vehicle is using that stop sign to interact with the road. Uh, that's going to be, it could potentially be very, um, very dangerous. Uh, And you cannot keep the situation where the, the, the reality and the map don't match each other. So you need to know it's missing. You need to alert the car it's missing. So even today, coming from the traffic sign angle, we know how to harvest data from millions of cars, ADA systems, take the road signs from there. Feed them into an HD map so that they have a very fresh map today maps are updated once every quarter once every year we We can easily do it daily or hourly depending on the processing power of the mapping company so yeah absolutely we're we're going in that direction uh, but we we're already there it's been i mean we're talking about road that we started doing you know work that we started doing two years ago
0: yeah i mean that's really fascinating it's not overnight yeah it's fascinating i mean you're seeing more and more cameras on vehicles all over the vehicles and you're able to collect a lot of information if you have the right relationships there and and use that for really real-time near, near real-time hd maps instead of something that was done once uh, a year ago which uh, obviously is not that reliable yeah that's great Exactly. No, I mean it, it's a it's a really interesting opportunity for autonomous for data and vehicles, and it's we're just at the beginning. It seems. Where do you see the mobility market uh, headed towards the end of the decade?
1: Um, first of all, I think that with autonomy, uh, autonomous, autonomous has uh, you know, um, several different opportunities. One of them is to harness the data to help uh, the autonomous uh, technology. The other thing is collect data from the car that's good for other purposes, because there are so many sensors in an autonomous vehicle. And of course, autonomous capability around assisting fleet management with managing vehicle data is going to be paramount for autonomous driving. driving. I'm looking at the end of the decade, and uh, you know I think OEMs should be, you know when we look at the OEM strategy of case, connected, autonomous, shared and electrified. You know, when you're looking at the end of the decades, uh, I think all of those strategies should be already fully executed. You look at different OEMs, what they plan to do with data, what they plan to do with software. Those plans mean that they should be fully connected Uh, and fully connected uh, because it's a target and because it's something that's driving the customer, the driver experience to a a higher uh, level. It's it's providing new services and it's, it's... a lot of opportunities for the OEM but also because the connected vehicle is assisting electrifying the vehicle. It's assisting the autonomous like we spoke about. It's of course, uh, uh, assisting the shared mobility. So shared mobility is always about managing a fleet efficiently. It's driven by vehicle data. You can't do it without the connected car. I think OEMs are there already. Electrification is gaining pace, but when you need to deal with the range anxiety, you have to use data to drive better decisions towards the driver so that they know you can help them so that they know that you monitor what they, where they are instead of charging. So they can recommend the best charging station for them. Not generally a personal recommendation that's built on understanding the battery capacity, understanding the road and understanding the uh, status of electric vehicle charging station to the second. so you give them the, the best possible recommendation. Yeah, you can only do it in a connected car, and if you can deal with that, you are driving electrification. You are driving a, the electric car to a place where it's easier to launch. So those are things that, you know, looking at those end of the decade should be behind us, and automotive industry should be coming with a new target, new strategy that is going to take you to the decade right after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating that uh, 2020 and 2021 ended up being uh, the years where electrification became obvious. It became uh, you know, default conclusion. It wasn't obvious before that. People forget. And, and it's really interesting to watch how quickly um, the uptake has happened. And in some countries, you know, in Europe just now, we saw that electric vehicles pass diesel uh, just just this week. So it's really fascinating to watch. And um, and it's also interesting that um, that we have connected vehicles first. We have internal combustion vehicles, many of them that are connected. And now electrification, everything is catching up. So it, uh, you, if you asked 10 years ago, I think everybody would have said that it goes EV first, then connected. Well, um, Asaf, I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast. I wanted to ask you one last question uh, to wrap up. You know, you've had a fascinating career so far. You're not nearly done, but you've learned a lot and you've worked at some really great companies and Autonomo is, uh, is really impactful in the automotive industry. Uh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself starting your career?
1: I would like to say, you know, that, that my career was so well planned, but it wasn't. Uh, it was, uh, a lot of it was driven by random. And I, if I could advise myself, I would say try to plan a little bit more. Um, I didn't. What happened happened and i'm happy with what i did and i'm happy with what i do very happy with what i'm planning to do um but that was yeah could, could use a little less adrenaline in the process
0: <laughs> that's great advice for all the uh, young entrepreneurs listening well thank you very much again i uh, appreciate having you having on the podcast and uh, looking forward to seeing what you do at autonomo that was my conversation with asaf weisbrot head of automotive at autonomo If you'd like to connect with me to discuss mobility and sustainability, you can find me online at golem.net. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends. We'll see you on the next episode.